and I was saying before you were there that my uh, mic is pointing the right way now. It, it sounds much, much, much better. It really does. Welcome to GCP Life, episode number six, a podcast where we talk about Google Cloud and tech. This show is sponsored by Kasna. I'm your host, Stephen Bancroft. And on this show, Google makes an acquisition, BigQuery gets a new feature, we take a look back at GCP improvements for 2021, we have some security news, business news, and we have yet another new website. But before we get to any of that, I want to introduce to you the co-host that comes all the way from the other side of the ditch, Ida Bailey. How are you going, Ida? Hey, I'm going good. Cheers. Going. That mic sounds great this week. <laughs> it's pointing in the right direction. It's <laughs> good. That's good. And we're back for 2022. First episode of the year. How are you feeling about it, Ida? Uh, yeah, I'm Yeah, really into it um it's been getting into summer and going to the beach and yeah it's good did you have any projects you got stuck into over the break yeah i took a look at temporal um which is a kind of microservices uh cluster orchestration workflow engine thing um that kind of came out of uh uber been fiddling around with that um we use it at work and I probably need to know a bit more about it. Um, so that's kind of what I was doing. Um, yeah. Cool. Okay. Well, maybe we can get a little bit of uh, a little bit of a breakdown on the show, one of the latest shows this year. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's really interesting. Well, my news is I got my dev cert. Nice. I set that, set that in December. I got that. That makes it my fifth Google Cloud professional certification. And um, to be honest with you, it wasn't that difficult. It really wasn't that difficult to cert. Um, I don't know, maybe it's because I got all the other certs to go along with it, and I'd 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 been working a bit with with some of the things they talk about. But um, yeah, I I, uh, I felt I felt pretty pretty good about it when I walked out, and um, I, I freaked myself out a little bit before I started because I found um. An old an exam guide for the older exam. Mm. They must have changed the exam at some point. I found an exam guide for that, and there was a lot of things in it that I hadn't been studying. Um, a lot of SQL questions in the older exam uh, exam, and they taken that all out of this version of the dev cert. Interesting, yeah, it's yeah, not my so, strong sweet. No, no, no. So I did brush up on SQL before I went in, um, which is actually fine because I'm now studying for the database certification. <laughs> so that's probably going to be handy. Um, but uh, I, I think they'd taken the SQL stuff out and replaced it with a lot of Kubernetes questions. Um, so there was there was a fair amount of Kubernetes stuff in there. Uh, but nothing, nothing, nothing couldn't work out. Um, I mean, it was nearly a month ago now I set that, so I, I can't I can't recall all, all the details. But um, look, not not a problem. Um, I'd actually recommend um, if you do have even the slightest bit of developer experience and you have no cloud experience and you want to you want to get a, a certification, probably get that one first if you're after a Google Cloud certification. I reckon go for that one first. Um, probably the easiest way in. How many more do you have to get? Well, there's three more. Um, there's the uh, database. Uh, I think it's database and ML. They they put that into one. Um, there's the AI uh, certification and the uh, collaboration professional certification. So, look, the collaboration one interests me the least. I think there's one more, which is the Google Cloud Fellow, I think. Which is the hybrid multi-cloud, how much can you use Anthos one? <laughs> yeah, but that's a bit different. The, the fellow one, I think you've got to sit a panel interview. Yeah, you do. With... Uh, you've got to be put forward by someone from Google or someone who already is a fellow. And then you've got to pass the certification and then there's a panel interview and there's a, there's a whole lot. We, we, we'll talk about multi-cloud a little bit later in the show, but... Um, yeah, that that might be a goal, not for this year, but you know, maybe the next year. Um, 
Look, the other little thing I did during the break was I moved my personal blog to GCP. I'd uh, I'd been thinking about doing it for a while, and I'd I'd been on the same hosting company for well over ten years, and uh, I had I had probably two or three times where the WordPress instance got compromised, and look, it might have been my own fault. I hadn't updated it or whatever, but I wanted to put Cloud Armor on it, um, and have all the other stuff there as well. I had a few other ideas with things I wanted to do, so yeah, I swung it all over, um, and pretty painless really. Um, I used this uh, Lightspeed web server. I don't know if you've used this either. No, I haven't. Um, so, yeah, it's a uh, PHP, uh, you know, PHP runtime. Um, and if you just go into the marketplace and you just ask for a, a WordPress instance on Ubuntu, for instance, you'll get like a full Ubuntu server, you know, 2004, and they'll put WordPress on it, and it's running in a full you know, E2 standard instance. Mm. Um, but there is an alternative one from the marketplace, which is, which is Lightspeed and runs on a Lightspeed web server and it runs on an F1 micro instance. Um, and by the time I put a, a load balancer and CDN cache in front of it, oh boy, it flies. It absolutely flies. And it, it costs probably about half what I was paying yeah. With the with the uh, the host the web hosting mob, so um, yeah, couldn't be happier with that. And of course, uh, there's a lot of static files in there. Um, um, my my blog's all about my music, so I've got I've got my music on there, and there's some larger sort of static files in there. So that's all in a bucket, and it all points towards that, and it's it's great. It just serves it out of there, works really well. Um, so that was a little 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 thing that kept me busy over the break. Um, and I was going to complain about this Chrome Chrome tab on this Chrome bug on Linux, but they've just fixed it, so I'm not <laughs> going to complain about that anymore. Oh, for about two weeks, I haven't been able to move tabs around in Chrome, but we oh, can wow. now. So it's, it was really painful, really, really painful. Um, cool. All right. Um, well, let's get cracking. Um, so the first item here we want to talk about is um, Google acquires Simplify. This was all over the place, um, and uh, it actually, it's a pretty big deal, I thought. Um, so according to the Google Cloud blog, um, uh, Simplify, a leading security organization, organization automation and response provider, SOAR. So we'll probably use that term, SOAR, S-O-A-R, a little bit in this uh, discussion. Um, Simplify shares our vision in this space and will join Google Cloud's security team to help companies better manage their threat response. So they're a threat response company. They, they set up automation and, you know, threat responses around threats. Um, with Simplify, we will change the rules on how organizations, organizations hunt, detect, and respond to threats. Um, so just to sum it up, uh, the Simplify platform is an intuitive workbench that enables security teams to both manage risk better and reduce the cost of addressing threats. So I imagine this is this is more or less going to work out the way um, Stackdriver did. Um, they're going to they're going to in integrate it. It'll probably be pulled into uh, the security tab in the console, and it'll just become part of the workflow. Yeah, it's interesting how it's. Uh, being, I guess, integrated in Chronicle. I haven't really had a chance to use Chronicle, but the Chronicle was pretty groundbreaking when it kind of got showcased by Google and incorporated um, just for the, I guess, the performance and just, you know, the uh, hearing about how it's used internally at Google and be able to like, oh, let's look at this network packet from three weeks ago, instantly identify traffic within like, you know, sub three seconds across the entire like Google Cloud's network, internal network and stuff. It's pretty interesting, um, just that kind of performance. Um, but yeah, the that automation part and the response part, um, it's going to be yeah interesting. Um, I haven't played with Seam before. I've played with a few other Seams, um, but the, um, yeah, is, Israeli companies usually build some pretty good stuff. Yeah, okay, I hadn't thought of it that way. Being a SEMA, it's giving you that sort of uh, overwatch on everything, right? It just sort of pulls everything into a single place. Um, yeah, and that yeah. Uh, identifying particular threats and patterns of traffic and, you know, 
a whole bunch of log patterns yeah. and yeah, yeah, probably some right. AI thrown in there, you know. Yep, 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 yep. Yep, like an IDS. Yeah, okay. So sort of the next level IDS. Yeah. Uh, Simplify allows security operations center analysis analysts to manage their operations from end to end, respond to cyber threats with speed and precision, and get smarter with every analyst interaction. So, um, I mean, this sounds great. Uh, there's another article I pulled up where uh, this will be linked in the show notes. This is on uh, SC Media, Cloud Security Media. Um, the author of this is Andrew Maloney. He makes a couple of good points. Um, he says that this basically spells the end for pure, pl- pure play standalone saw vendors. Um, Simplify was one was one of only a handful of remaining standalone saw vendors, and now the shadow pool has become even more sparse. So this this technology that Simplify has is going to be exclusively available on Google Cloud now. So if you're, you know, a sole player, then you that that basically takes them out of the picture for you. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess that's this whole homogenization of the market, right? We see it with web browsers. We see it, you know, with a lot of technologies. Everything just sort of it's know, be comes the, down the, to a single thing, right? Yeah, yeah, like Activision being bought by Microsoft. D- yeah. Oh. It was a bit of a I, If small... we were a gaming podcast, we'd be all over that article right now. Boy, oh boy, what a buy. Yeah. $70 billion or something. Boy, oh boy. Anyway. Um and then uh, going on with this article, he saw technologies. Is, now, this is an interesting point. Uh, solidifies the bifurcation of the saw market. Saw technologies have failed to deliver on the original promise to automate away the human element in security investigations by taking over orchestration response to threats and incidents. In reality, very few security issues have end-to-end predictability with binary outcomes. So I think what he's saying there is every time there's a new um, a, a new CVE or a new security, you know, pan- everyone panics about, it's something different. How is, how, how can it be predictable? I mean, you're constantly adding, if you're going to use AI to predict it, sure, you're constantly adding to the pool with a new threat, but every time they, they seem different. I don't know. What, wow. what do you think on that? Uh I think half are different and half are just the same terrible things we see over and over again. <laughs> like, uh, like, well, they're the low hanging yeah. fruit, right? They're the easy ones to get, like open buckets and stuff like that. Yeah, like path traversal was, you know, <laughs> it's just that shouldn't be in uh, things these days, but it's, but it is. Um, is yeah, I'd yeah. say um, yeah, doing. Probably things, behaviours around, um, say, internal threats. So, uh, like, I know internal threat actors and what there's a lot of behavioural analysis that goes into um, identifying what a particular user is doing at a particular time for, say, six months, and all of a sudden, what if, you know, there's some activity Uh, at three in the morning? uh, These kind of models can pick it up. So what are the, uh, like, anomalies? and, And then flag those for someone to go and have a look at. So, like even like what are the what are the first things that people open on their desktop? Like that's probably uh, the same thing. But if all of a sudden there's a new session and a whole bunch of different things pop up that are not normal, those that kind of behavioral analysis is usually quite important, and you can get some pretty good signals from that if they are you know following similar patterns. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, humans are you know habitual. In in yeah. in what they do and in their nature. So yeah, I never thought of it from that perspective. Yeah, absolutely, you could analyze people, mm. it, right? That's where the threats are coming from. Um, so yeah, I mean, uh, there's a few things there to consider with this. Take a look at that. We've got the the links in the show notes there. Um, agree, read read the blog and then have have a have a read of um have a read of uh, Andrew Mullaney's article as well. He 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 has a good good spin on it. Uh, we might move on here, and we'll take a look at uh, BigQuery. Um, now, this is a cool new feature that's uh, been launched in BigQuery. Um, now, I have to admit, I read through this, and I had to read it again, and then I kind of read it a third time, and I think I know what's going on. <laughs> so, mind you, it was last week I read it. Um, 
what this is allowing us to do now, there's a new feature in BigQuery. Today, we're announcing a public preview for the BigQuery native JSON data type, a capability which brings support for storing and analyzing semi-structured data in BigQuery. Interesting. Um, so effectively, uh, you can just uh, add, a, add a column onto your table, and then you can just ingest uh, semi-structured data uh, straight in. And then uh, you can refer to that just with a dot notation and just refer to it like any other piece of data in, in the database. Yeah, the thought? interesting thing is, yeah, it's schemaless, so you don't need to basically predefine everything that's going on first. You can just of course, chuck yeah. it in there and see what happens. <laughs> and then, you know, just uh, use a familiar, um, say, yeah, dot notation, like, you know, if anyone lives on the command line is used. Uh, JQ to you know pass JSON, um, same you know same language, same things you just query. So where does this leave Bigtable then? Uh, I think it was probably the final like, kind of missing piece. Having usually, I think it's my understanding is everything had to be kind of uh, you had to have define your schema up front, and you had to have it well known before you chucked it in there. Um, but JSON's very um, you know, very well supported in the Python community. So whether, um, yeah, I think this covers probably a lot of use cases that, and it probably speeds up a lot of development for people who want to just quickly chuck something in and get that performance from BigQuery. Right, yeah, so you don't need to be parsing it and, and putting it into a structured database beforehand. You can just get it in there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, great for like high speed translate IOT things and if you if you if you're pulling stuff in through BigQuery um, um sorry um through uh PubSub and you want high throughput I guess. Yeah and for um probably I don't know if you if you might want to use it for logs or you have a whole bunch of different log sources that are all kind of um have different structures and you want to kind of query across all of them. Um you could just check it all on the same thing. Probably, probably best, best approach. You could if you want. Um, if you really needed to do it, I guess performance would be the, the key factor there, right? I mean, you yeah. could. Yeah. Yeah, anyway, link to the blog in the show notes there, guys. Uh, the blog's great because it does break down uh, some Python code on exactly how to, uh, how to, how to bring JSON uh, into BigQuery. Um, you need to, you can enroll in the feature preview by signing up here. So you need to get the preview first and then you'll get access to this feature. All right. Another item from Google was a blog post, uh, that was posted towards the end of last year, 23rd of December from Sachin Gupta. And he, uh, sort of broke down what they, what new features were introduced to Google cloud during 2021. Um, Good read. Some of these things I hadn't heard about. A um, couple of call-outs were VMware expansion, which we did discuss on the show. Um, the introduction of Tau CPUs, um, spot VMs, um, backup for GKE, custom dual region for cloud buckets, which which is a great one because um, you know I, don't, I know some of our clients have have got data that has to stay within Australia. And if you, if you, if you, you know, selecting dual region, you know, it's, it's great to be able to pick exactly where you want those buckets to be. Um, uh, Private Service Connect uh, and BY, BYOIP, just to name a few. The biggest one for, uh, for me, I guess, was the Private Service Connect, which uh, basically opens up a lot of the, I guess the the serverless functions and so cloud run and stuff and being able to use them like at an enterprise level within like a private VPC makes it much more secure. Um, where previously, if you had to use them, there'd be some kind of public endpoint and then it would just, even if you couldn't really block that. So yeah, it was quite, it's quite a big thing last year. Yeah, private service connect is great. It means you can, you can just lock everything away in its own little bubble. Mm. And uh, you don't even need to have SSH ports open, right? You just go in via IAP and, and everything's everything's behind the, yeah, the, yeah. the walled fortress. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they do call that out specifically in this blog. Developers want to focus on code, not configuring, manage, managing or scaling infrastructure to help 
we worked on simplifying network with new services such as Private Service Connect, which allows you to connect VPCs to applications and services securely without configuring all the network underlay. Yeah, great, great feature. Um, yeah, so some of the features here, just going back to the Tau VMs, um, I wasn't aware of this one. Tau VMs offer 56% higher absolute performance and 42% higher price performance, uh, higher price performance compared to general purpose VMs from any of the leading public cloud vendors, from any of the leading public cloud vendors. So that's a good one to know if you're uh, setting up Tau VMs. Um, backup for GKE. Uh, we're particularly excited about how this new option for GKE users allows users allows you to more easily meet your service level objectives for automated common backup and recovery tasks and show reporting from compliance and auto purposes. That's another great one as well. BYOIP. So you don't need to change your IP address. I mean, that's that's great because, you know, that that might be a bit of an off put for someone trying to migrate into Google Cloud. They don't want to lose their IP, but now you don't have to. Um, and we enhance cloud load balance with, with advanced traffic management, regional and hybrid app delivery to load balance traffic between on-prem and cloud networks. We also introduced IPv6, DNS policy manager, cloud domains, GKE gateway controller, EPPF data plane, and service directory, all with the goal of making networking easier for developers. That's a lot. They packed a lot in last year with that. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, I mean, there's a few things in there that I wasn't aware of. Um, take a look at that. There might be some stuff that interests you. I'm definitely going to go away and have a bit of a look at, uh, these Tau VMs, um, and, uh, some of the networking stuff too interests me as well. All right, moving on. Um, another GCP item here. Um, Cloud Marketplace drops commissions, strengthens channel. What's this all about, Ida? Uh, so, like you were mentioning before, that light speed kind of marketplace solution. Um, uh, there's a thing called ISVs, independent software vendors. So you can, you know, create products to sell within the Google Cloud Marketplace. Same, similar to, you know, Azure or AWS. Um, usually there's a, a, a revenue sharing thing that goes on when you sell something through that. Google will take, or have been taking 20%. And now they've dropped that down to 3%. So a massive reduction in how much money they're taking. So if you were going to develop a product and try and resell it on um, Google Cloud Marketplace, then, yeah, you'd be getting a lot more money in your pocket. So particularly things for, say, IBM or Red Hat, they must be very happy about this. Um, they're actually the, <laughs> the same company now, aren't they? <laughs> uh, well, they've been the same company for a few years, but, yeah. yeah. Um a little point I took away from this article, unlike AWS and Microsoft Azure, Google has not allowed resellers to sell third-party Google Cloud Marketplace solutions. This is a key difference between Google and competitors, AWS and Microsoft Azure, which do permit ISVs that latitude. That's changing in 2022. Yeah, it'd be interesting... Um just to see what people push out. Um, yeah, I was just wondering, you know, what would be a, a high seller in the marketplace? So what does that mean effectively? So if I, if I build something out in, and put it in the marketplace and deploy it as a deployment or whatever, does that mean I'm allowed to sell it directly? Well, I think this is more around if you say you've got a, a solution that, that runs on Google Cloud, but you kind of uh, kind of reselling part of that. Um, from what I can read in the documentation, it's saying like ISVs will be able to build industry-specific 5G and edge solutions, leveraging the Google Cloud ecosystem uh, and also telecommunication providers um, and the 140 Google Network Edge locations. So um, these are there's a I don't think it's specifically like just single like a marketplace application that you click on deploy. It's more of a broader um kind of maybe industry wide solution or something that at a kind of higher level. So to run on the Google Distributed Cloud, which we mentioned in an episode last year, I think. Uh, actually that they launched it at Next, didn't they, last yeah. year? Yeah. 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 Okay. So it's to, for for solutions to run on that. Yeah, they seem to be 
conflating the two here in this article. Hmm. All right. Well, um, interesting to see how that pans out. And um, yeah, interesting they've dropped the revenue share as well. Mm. They're certainly not worried about money, are they? <laughs> no. Uh, <laughs> All right, look, uh, we'll move on to what I thought was uh, the security items, and they're kind of interesting, uh, tangentially related to uh, Google Cloud, but this is a Google one, uh, kind of a bit of a fun one, and a bit of a, a, bit of a like, uh, you don't say. Um, a new wave of phishing attacks. This is an article from um, uh, govinfosecurity.com, um, a new wave, which was what January 8th came out. A new wave of phishing attacks has been identified in which hackers exploit a vulnerability in the comments features of Google Docs. And it's funny why they write this. I, I, I wouldn't call it a vulnerability. It's a feature. Hmm. Right? It's a feature. In this attack, hackers are adding a comment to the Google Doc, okay, which is something you can do. The, the comment mentions the target with an at, okay? That's something you can do. By doing so, an email is automatically sent to that person's inbox. In that email, which comes from Google, the full comment, including the bad links and text, is included. Further, the email address isn't shown, just the attacker's name, making this ripe for impersonators, says Jeremy Fuchs from uh, the Cybersecurity Research Analysis at Avanan. So this is kind of like... Uh, you don't say. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's always been able to do this, and now they've someone's cottoned on to. Ooh, okay, we can we can use this to send out a bit of uh, you know a bit of a bit of, a bit of phishing attack. Yeah, it's it's pretty interesting because I mean, if I set up a slightly different domain name and then someone's got a public document and I sign in and then I at someone and it's from like your boss at your domain. <laughs> but it's slightly different. Then you're like, oh, I better click on this link. And then, uh, yeah, no, not a good idea. Bingo, you're compromised, yeah. yeah. Um, look, I don't know if they fix this or not, but you, you can probably, there's probably, you know, you can sense what the fix is going to be. They'll just put some restriction in there that only allows certain users to send emails. Um, well, ideally you know. they filter out the URLs or send it through some other kind of, safe link checking engine. The article here does go on to say that researchers say that the email is difficult for scanners to stop and for end users to spot, which makes it harder for anti-spam filters to judge. Also, since these emails come directly from Google, they may appear more trustworthy. So we have uh, a few factors there making this... uh, a difficult one to detect. And I guess really that's where the threat is, isn't it? Trying to actually detect this thing um, because it's always been able to do that. And, you know, someone has to, going to be a manual thing. They're going to be sending out these, uh, unless you could automate it somehow, I suppose you could. Um, uh, you know, it, it's, the, it's the fact that they can't detect it, right? I think that's really where the threat is. Yeah, it doesn't look like there is a fix even for it. It just here's some recommendations. Yeah, no no uh no word of a fix in this article. But uh something may come up. Moving on to a couple of business items. Um we have uh the regulators in the UK. Uh now this was interesting because the reason this twig to me is because this sounds exactly like something the Australian government would government would do. Um, the article is from um, Windows Central, uh, Microsoft News, um, and dated the tenth of January, and starts out: What do Microsoft, Amazon, and Google have in common? Well, a number of things. Um, uh, among those is the fact that the UK Prudential Regional Authority is taking expanded look at the TRIO's cloud operations and how they may require additional oversight. The article goes on to say, beyond more oversight, the PRA is considering more disaster recovery tests and prep as a way to ensure operational resilience 
This renewed scrutiny comes not long after an Amazon web server outage that took place in December of 2021. That exact same outage that we mentioned in the show during December. Yeah, it's a, I mean, it's a huge risk as everyone's moving to cloud and it's kind of like, well, instead of having, you know, everyone, or, you know, so you've got 20 banks and they're all running from 20 different data centers, well, hopefully more than 20. Now it's all running from, you know, the same ones so you know yeah uh, the uh, the the damage to ooh, an outage of you know say if you two regions went from AWS then in say the UK uh, that's basically game over for the financial well, system region, right <laughs> one region one region that, that AWS outage in December was was uh US east and it had global impacts yeah yeah so but I, I don't know if this is the right approach. They're trying to regulate, regulate it away, regulate incidents away. You can't do that. I think in some places there's some, you know, regulation makes sense and definitely making sure that um, some, you know, disaster recovery scenarios are covered is probably a good thing that they're thinking about. But, yeah, they, yeah I think they're probably doing their best already. <laughs> so that's the thing. Yeah, this is the thing. There's so much control and so much um, due diligence in place around making sure there's no outages and making sure that things don't blow up. Mm. Um, I think, you know, the lawmakers and the politicians trying to come in and, and put some more on top of it, it doesn't help the situation. If anything, the whole DevOps movement has tried to do the opposite of that, right? It's tried to strip a lot of that away. Um, and, and automate that and make that as seamless as possible. And we are seeing advantages from that. Yeah, um, definitely. It's just unfortunate that occasionally when things, things break, um, the economy of scale, which is a big advantage with what we're doing, um, the economy of scale backfires and breaks everything all in one go. Yeah, it's very, very fragile, particularly financial systems. And you, you know, all of a sudden you can't trade on the stock market or, you know, everything or, uh, yeah. I, I used to manage um, the uh, land title system in Victoria and, like, if it didn't work, it's like no one could register their mortgages, settlements would miss out. It would be total Ooh, economic yeah. disaster. So, yeah, it was, yeah. <laughs> once that housing, once that, you know, yeah, once the economy around housing stops, boy, oh boy. Yeah. Yeah, it's a big problem. And it, yeah, you miss it by one, one day and it's like, well, everyone has to rewrite all the legal documents, you know, everything. Oh, because they've got a date, the yeah, date yeah. stamp everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. So, yeah, I mean, you know, us guys in, in operations and IT and anyone working in you know, those fields where we're acutely aware of the need to not cause outages and not cause problems. And, yeah, um, you know, I, these politicians and, and, and lawmakers are going to come and have a look at it. And I, I don't know. I, I don't know if they – I think they'll actually be surprised by what they find. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, Let's just hope that it doesn't filter down here to Australia because that's uh, the kind of thing that they would do. <laughs> yeah, anyway, um, another quick business item. Um, cloud ops. Cloud ops. You heard of this one, Ida? I've cloud ops. Kind of. I mean, slightly less clicky than click ops, is it? <laughs> <laughs> slightly less clicky than click we know about DevOps, right? You know, click. We know click ops. You know DevOps. You know DevOps. It's the conflict. Confirmation between dev and ops, DevOps. Well, um, ops, ops. the idea here, yeah. yeah, the idea with cloud ops, like, okay, so you've got your DevOps team and then you've got your security team and then you've got your uh, blah, blah, blah team and then your blah, blah, blah team, your I IoT ops maybe, right? ITO ops. Um, well, why not just combine all of that into one thing and just call them cloud ops? What ops? <laughs> um, if they're not doing development, then DevOps. It's kind of yeah. it. So DevOps yes. are doing Dev and Ops. So, which skill does Cloud Ops entail? There is no official list of which skills you need to practice Cloud Ops. Different folks will tell you that Cloud Ops entails somewhat different types of ex 
expertise. In general, however, the consensus is cloud ops requires mastery of the following. So uh, cloud application deployment, right? identity and access management, monitoring and observability, security, cloud networking, and cost management. Now, in a big organization, traditionally, all those areas would be divided into their independent silos. Um, what CloudOps is doing uh, is trying to unify all those things in the same way that DevOps brought uh, the developers and operations together. It's going to be pretty tricky. To, there's a, there's, because cloud moves so fast, it's kind of like trying to run on, you know, six treadmills at the same time. <laughs> it's, it's a bit tricky. I think for um, probably get a big good someone to kind of cover at least three of those, but like particularly cloud security is very, and cloud ne networking is very specialized. If you're going to have to talk about, you know, uh, you know, transit gateways or, you know, BGP pairing and VPN routing, and yep. that's not something someone's going to pick up right yeah. away. So yeah, there's a lot of intricacies there. What about the idea of knowing it sort of wide and shallow? Yeah, I think that's useful in a, like, like level one or two support role. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of. But eventually, um, eventually, you've got to specialize, right? You got to, you got to go into the, t the T, yeah, the, the T pattern, right? And then you've got to go deep at some point. I think everyone will ends up, you know, finding something that they're interested in and working on that, figuring it out. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, for, I mean, well, the, I guess these these skills are pretty. It's probably going to segue into the next bit. <laughs> the you know multi cloud they apply to everything, um, which whatever cloud you're doing. I guess in um, smaller organisations and maybe uh, architectural roles, uh, you would need to know all of these areas. Um, if you were if you were designing something, um, definitely having a broad understanding of each of the areas would be beneficial, and then you could. Um, you know, consult with the specialists, I guess. Hmm. Um, I was actually doing it um, to someone I know working uh, in cloud building stuff. And they're, they're actually building these teams now with uh, like someone whose role is just a researcher full time. Their job is to research what the team could or should be doing um, and then disseminating that to the rest of the team. And they just do pox all day and read stuff. And say think about things. Then they're not an architect. They're not a. They kind of try to cover everything, um, which I thought was an interesting approach. I don't know how it'll work. They're kind of like the, but, the mad science, the mad scientists of the team, right? Yeah, kind of. And they're like, oh, someone's <laughs> got. Oh, I've got this funny idea. Maybe it'll work. And they're like, oh, let's, I'll spend a, a week on that, smashing it out, see what happens. While well, everyone else does the bit that delivers the value to work, I guess. Right. Um, this article finishes off with, with two points I think we just touched on there. Um, uh, the, the answer depends largely on two factors, how large and complex your cloud is. Right? The bigger and more complicated your cloud, the more you stand to benefit from hiring engineers who specialize in the cloud. Right? How large is your business? Mid-sized businesses that use cloud are likely to get more out of a cloud ops team. And I think that's what we're saying, right? If you've got a team that's that's broad, individuals that are broad, then sort of small to mid-sized business that would suit them, right? Which can function as an alternative to maintaining separate teams of IT, networking, security, and DevOps engineers. Larger organizations are likely to have those other teams anyway. You won't gain much as much from cloud ops. As for smaller businesses, they are likely to simply have an IT ops team. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the last place I worked, we had, uh, there was five of us, and then there was four of us, and then when I finally left there, there was three of us, and it was down to two in the IT ops team. So, yeah, we had to be uh, gurus of all, jack of all trades, master of none, so to speak. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it definitely does depend on the size of your your team, but um, your your business. But cloud ops is going to be a term you're going to see more and more of, I think. And yes, you're right, Ida, that does dovetail into our next item, which uh, is this idea of multi-cloud fluency. I've, I've worked in all three of the clouds and I've got the Arctic suits for all three a while ago. Um, uh, the patterns that, I guess, apply um, across 
all the clouds are basically the same. Um, but it's really good to know the differences in what your your particular cloud that you're working on's pro, uh, uh, product is and what how that differs, and that really can inform you on how you design and uh, systems. So um, you really want to kind of use the strengths of the system that you're um, working with, and yeah, don't really understand it, I guess, as much as if you knew what was out there in the in the marketplace and other clouds. So are you? The fact that you you would know how it's done in AWS, for instance, would that give you some ideas on? Um, and I'm just thinking as an example here on how how something could be done better in GCP or or, or a better way to implement the same thing in GCP. Yeah. So, for example, um, like in Azure, when you spin up a VM, uh, it takes like a long time compared to GCP, and it's it's up, you know, within a few, you know, 10, 20 seconds. Um, and that just, just you can probably design systems slightly differently. Um, if you know, I guess, they're, what, they're, what they're really good at, particularly like uh, like BigQuery, which doesn't really have, uh, it's a kind of a, you know, closed source Google product, doesn't really have another competing product in Azure AWS. There's a few other slightly similar things, um, but they're very, uh, yeah, they're very tailored, I guess, particularly use cases. Um, and so you really have to know those use cases for, for I'd say for some of those specialized products, um, like Bigtable and BigQuery are very different. Um, and you've got things, you know, Cosmos DB and um, all the data lake products that Azure have got. Yeah, okay. So, I mean, the blog here on uh, the Google Cloud blog here um, has a few interesting points. Um, 76% of employers are already using multiple clouds in some fashion, with more than 50% flagging lack of skills among their employees as a top challenge to survival in the cloud. So, on one hand, you have uh, businesses that are just going crazy and putting stuff in clouds all over the place. And part of that's probably some shadow IT, I'd imagine. Um, but then you've got 50% of those same companies, I'd imagine, saying, well, we don't actually have the skills to do it. And I've encountered this with some of our clients. Um, you know, they, they, want it, they, they know cloud's going to be better, but they're, they're just they're not skilled or don't have the time to do it. or um, um, you know, no motivation to do it. Um, so you find a juxtaposition in that way. Um, and going back to what you were saying with the, um, the similar patterns between all of them, if you get into one cloud, then it's pretty, well, I'm not going to say easy, but, um, you've already got uh, some, some a schema in place in your mind to say to help you with the second cloud. So it's it's kind of a, a funny situation where they've just got to get over that hurdle, right? They've just got to get over that bridge, uh, get, jump over that hurdle. Once they jump over that hurdle and they're into it, multi cloud just sort of should appear. Yeah, yeah. To them. But I mean, say for example, the the way that the networking is in Google Cloud is very different from AWS, where if you want to do something multi region in AWS, it's it's going to be really a lot of work to now. Yeah, you need to set up peering per region and, and, and routing yeah, yep. and a whole bunch of stuff um, where that's yep. kind of just done for you in Google Cloud. Yeah, um, yeah, yep. So, yeah, some of the stuff we think, oh, it's going to be hard or I have to do it this way, when you switch to a different cloud, it's like, oh, okay, that's totally different. Um, particularly, there's a lot of server, serverless stuff, which um, it's they look the same, but when you use it, it's, it's cool. They're quite different. Um, uh, cloud functions and Lambda versus Azure functions are very, yeah, very different. Very different things. Very different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've used used Lambda a little bit in the past, so I know what you're talking about there. Um, and it's interesting in this article, he says you could pick one cloud. In fact, he does recommend um, do that. Pick one cloud. Specialize in one cloud, uh, but but know the other clouds a little bit. 
right? Know them enough so that you know where the strengths and weaknesses are, right? He says, you could pick one cloud to get good and stick with it. That's perfectly valid career bet. And if you do bet your career on one cloud, you should totally pick Google Cloud. Of course. <laughs> I have my reasons. And he links off to another article, which I haven't read, but I, I will have a read. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I mean, yeah, just, so, I guess, underpinning all of this uh, multi-cloud or hybrid multi-cloud even, it's all like Kubernetes has won that kind of, a kind of abstraction as well as a platform on, I guess, a cloud platform. And so if you are going to be, doing anything that's multi-cloud, it will most likely involve Kubernetes in some way. Right. Say. Right. Yep. So get to know your Kubernetes. Yep. Uh, another, probably the last, last little point we'll point out here. Um, he refers to a colleague of his called, uh, by the name of Lynn Langett, an independent consultant and one of the cloud technologists I most respect estimates that she spends around 40% of her consulting time on Google Cloud, 40% on AWS, and 20% on Azure. So does that reflect the market? Do you think that would reflect the market as well there, Ida? Uh, I'd just go by market cap, which is <laughs> how much money, how much revenue they're getting as well. How like, much revenue they're getting, yeah, I suppose. It's, it's, it would be nice to see Google Cloud at 40. Well, actually, I'd like to see more actually cloud providers, but just a bit of added spice. <laughs> yeah, look, my feeling just on that at the moment, obviously AWS is the top dog, uh, but Google and people see Google Cloud as the, the underdog, uh, but I think Google Cloud's probably in the most demand at the moment. Mm. Um, people want to move onto Google Cloud. Um, certainly, um, you know, trying to get the people to do it is is a challenge. I think that's where most of the, the holdup is. Um, but uh, that's that's how it seems in Australia, anyway. Mm. That's how the market seems in Australia. And Azure was kind of like they were a bit late to the market, and everyone's. I think everyone's a bit over Microsoft, to be honest with you. So they've got to kind of get over that hurdle. Um, anyway, great article. Um, look at this is where they, they talk about T-shaped skills as well in there. We mentioned that before. Um, yeah, if, you're, if you want to, uh, you know, I don't think I'm quite ready for it yet to bust out into another cloud, but um, I, I know some people are, are keen to look at other things. I'm, I'm really happy working with Google Cloud, so I'm going to continue doing that. Yeah, I mean, something interesting to try is just have DNS in AWS and your services somewhere else as well. I mean, if you want to just easily segregate stuff out, you can do it that <laughs> way. But then you've got all these extra logins, all these extra idea. You've got to log in here and log in there and have 50 million windows open. <laughs> you know? Yeah, same password for both. No. <laughs> of course. Of course you have the same password on everything. Isn't that how it's done in 2022? <laughs> Easy. Yeah, easy, easy, easy. All right, let's wrap it up here with a little bit of housekeeping. We have a new website. Yes, so I put all that effort into the website last year. Uh, anyway, we decided to scrap all that, and we, <laughs> we've got a new one. It actually uh, it's, uh, it hangs off the Kasna uh, web presence right now. So it's, uh, you can just go to kasna.com.au slash gcplife. And then that will get you to the website. Um, you'll find a nice little uh, playlist there and you'll see each of the episodes and you'll see little pictures of all of us and all the guests that have been on the show. Uh, we're also syndicated all over the place now. We're on Spotify. We've got an RSS feed, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, uh, Blueberry, Podcast Index and iTunes. Yes, if you look in iTunes, you'll find us. Um, boy, oh boy, I tell you what, just getting this, there's a lot going on here to get this de this description right and fill this in and fill that in. A lot of little details you get got to get right to make sure this is appearing and looking nice in all the places. Um, but uh, it's there now. It's there and it's looking good. And it, it'll stay like that now um, for the foreseeable future. Cool. Cool, yeah. And it's really easy too. All I've got to do is uh, post... Um, make a single post 
I put the necessary text in there, upload the file, and I reference the file, and bang, it all just happens automatically. Very nice. Automation is, is uh, nice. good, isn't it? Uh, it is good, yeah, yeah, it is good. Um, and we are working on a couple of little functions and stuff in the background to automate a few other little tasks that we want done. But um, we'll let you know about all of those as they come along because that's all content for the show, either. It's all content. <laughs> <laughs> it's true, it's true. All right, well, look, that's about it for us for this fortnight. Um, 2022, here we come. Um, let's see how this year goes. And it's not uh, the skull thuggery that happened in the last two years. I really want things to go smoothly. Yeah, please. Uh, yeah, no please. extra variants, please. <laughs> no extra variants. No, that's right. Um, we're going to have plenty more news, plenty more content, and uh, hopefully we'll have a few guests as well during the year and a couple of special shows. That's what we're planning as well. And of course, this show is sponsored by Kazna. At Kazna, we make your Google Cloud solutions possible. And don't forget to check out our YouTube channel, Between Two Clouds, where you'll see our CEO and CTO just discussing Google Cloud and tech around Google Cloud. And of course, you can contact us on the email, gcplife at kasna.com.au and go and check out our new website. I told you the URL before. It's kasna.com.au slash gcplife. Anything else from you, Ida? Uh, no, it's been a really great chat. All right, thanks, Ida. And thanks, everyone. We'll catch you in a fortnight. recorded cool that was good um, yeah it's good yeah good. um i always i i read the article i must read some of these articles three times and <laughs> then we come to talk about it, like oh crap what the what was this article all about again <laughs>